For those of you who don't know me, I'm Esther, <laughs> and I used to be called Esther Elliot, and I was called Esther Elliot for 29 years of my life, and uh, then in the, the, toward the end of my 29th year, which is still here, uh, I got married, which is about four months ago, and um, it's been fun times. Uh, some of you are looking at me like, wow, that's old. What is in the water here in Dunedin? It just seems like people just get hooked up and married at like 12. It's crazy. I'm like, what is going on down here? Sheesh, I've got to send people down here to get married. Hey, Pastor Wills, serving the church, have babies. Anyway, but uh, for me, that was, that was not me. Um, I actually learned from a very young age to be vigilant in protecting my heart And that sounds like a really good idea, um, but when you are young, you're not, you don't necessarily have the emotional or the spiritual maturity to do so. So what I was doing in an effort to protect my heart, uh, rather I was building walls and these walls, though they were fantastic for protecting my heart, they really sucked because all it did was produce a kind of loneliness and a kind of isolation that I would later in life have to deal with. Now, I don't know why uh, things, well, I don't know why I did that as a child. Uh, Probably one of the many reasons was that I, I didn't necessarily grow up in the most picturesque home. Um, I, as a young girl, discovered that my dad was not perfect. Shock horror. Uh, But as a kid, you expect your parents to be perfect, don't you? You expect your dad to be the hero, the protector, and mum to be the nurturer. But my dad was human, and he still is. Uh, my dad is very, very human, and in his humanity, he was quite an angry guy. And because he did not know how to deal with his anger, his anger would always bubble up and it would land because he didn't know how to cope or deal with it. It would land on my brothers, it would land on myself, it would land on my mum in the form of physical abuse. And this is one of the reasons why I learned from an early age to protect my heart. Now, the curious thing is, I did not know that there was another way to live life. I just thought this was normal. Like, it's just completely normal. Isn't this what family is? Because this was my only experience of family. And then I discovered I was different because I went to school and started talking to other kids. And other kids would talk about their families. And I would think, oh, my family's not like that. And then my parents got divorced. And then kids would talk about their Christmases and their birthdays. And and I, I, or my dad kind of forgot mine and didn't really turn up and isn't around anymore. And it was that conversation, the fact that I was different from the perceived norm that meant I experienced something that we all know intimately, though we probably don't like to admit it. It is this thing called shame. It didn't exist prior to me not realising that I'm different. 
But when I realised I was different from a perceived norm, this shame came into my life and I did everything I could to cover up. Don't we do that? (laughs) I did everything I could to cover up. I covered up with the fact that, you know, well, I'm brown and brown people tend to be loud. So I just thought, well, I'm just going to be loud. The louder I am, perhaps it will increase the chances that people won't notice that I am full of shame. And so this was the way that I grew up. And then 29 years later, I, uh, well, probably it was 27, I met one Benjamin Greenwood. And... uh, Benjamin Greenwood, is this being recorded? (laughs) Okay, I love him very much. Uh, (laughs) But one Benjamin Greenwood came like running into my life and uh, I did not know what to do with him. And uh, I was quite content. I actually really, really, really loved being 29 and being single. Um, I loved it. I fell in love with God and I met God when I was a teenager and I've been on a journey with God since I was 14 years old and and I, I fell in love with God. Then Ben comes in and he manages to find his way into my heart. And this is what I'm going to say about one Benjamin Greenwood. Uh, I've never really met anyone who knows love like Ben does. And... Like, not the Hollywood kind of love, but he does do that really, really well. Um, He does do the big romantic gestures. Oh, if I could just tell you about our first dates. Do I have time or why not? So our first, like, kid you not, our first dates included things like horse riding on the coast of the Coromandel, Coromandel, picnics on cliffs, snorkeling at Go Island. It included all of these amazing adventures. Um, we're, we're married now. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and Ben just kind of, he, he went all out for like six months. And even in that six months, I was still like, oh, I don't know if you're good enough for me. Um, like, you know, it's Esther. And uh, I, would, I was making him work for it and he worked hard. And then we got together. And after we got together, I was like, oh, do you know what? I still don't think you're good enough for me. So we broke up. Oh tragedy. And then, you know, he, he then lived and he had to move to Christchurch for three months to get away from me. Uh, no, it was because of the call of God. So he was in Christchurch for three months and then he came back to Auckland. We got back together and Ben just would not stop. He was relentless. He was absolutely relentless in his pursuit. He knows the Hollywood kind of love, but in and through it all, I realised that he knew the self-sacrificing love, the love that comes with an attitude of service and an attitude of release and an attitude of, I will do everything in my power to release you to become the person God has called you to be. And in the face of this kind of love, Still, I still want to hide the broken parts of me. I still want to hide the parts that aren't quite healed yet. I don't want them to see that I'm still broken. And the thing, 
the thing with that is, do we not do that with Jesus? Who is this relentless, fiercely pursuing kind of love, yet even now, we still want to hide the broken parts of us. Even now in this very moment, we still would like to pretend we've got it all together when we don't. You see, the thing that I've learned in four months of marriage, just four months, the thing that I have learned in four months of marriage, and it has taught me this, that I must be vulnerable enough to receive the love that I say I desire. We have got to be vulnerable enough to receive the kind of love that we say we desire. Come on, we stand here or we come to church in the morning and we sing songs like there is more, so much more to come, but it will require a vulnerability from you so that you can receive it. Because what does the Bible say? Paul says it, that in our weakness, he is strong. So it's almost as if our points of weakness, or it is exactly if our points of weakness is the entry point for the strength and love of God. But we go around trying to cover it up because of what? Shame. And this is what I wanna talk about today. I want to talk about the power and the debilitating and crippling effect of shame and how much it actually becomes an obstacle for this, silencing our voice. And I believe here in Dunedin, in this church, God has given you a specific kind of voice, an Isaiah 40 kind of voice, one that would speak to the wilderness and see prosperity, one that would speak to the valleys and see them raised up, one that would speak to the mountains and say, come down, one that would speak to the curves and say, straighten up, Make a path because God is coming and He is gonna do something amazing. But if shame is at work, it will shut our mouths. And in our silence, shame grows. Because no one wants to talk about it and the more we don't talk about it, the more it happens, doesn't it? And this is why I love church. Because church is a place where I can come and shame can be shut up. But the key is we have to be vulnerable enough to bring our stuff to God so He can deal with it. In fact, He's already dealt with it on the cross, but we have to reckon with the power of the cross by faith so we can leave it there. And as we leave this place into our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we open our mouth and we speak to a dying generation and we speak to the university and we speak to our finances and we speak to our children, come on, we've got to open our mouths. I better get to the Word. Genesis chapter 3, 
verse 6 and 7 is the first place where we see shame in the Bible. And the, the team are going to put it up at some point. I'll read it anyway. It says this, So she, good old Eve, she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame. That's right. Come on, talk to me. They felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Oh, Adam and Eve. (laughs) Okay, let's just talk about this, shall we? So... She took some of the fruit, she gave it to Adam. Just check this out. At that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. Notice, they did not feel shame at their disobedience. They actually felt shame at their nakedness. That's because there's a very big difference between guilt and shame. If they were guilty, they would have felt guilty at their disobedience because they're human and humans are disobedient, aren't we? But the difference between guilt and shame is this. Guilt, I have made a mistake. Shame, I am the mistake. They felt shame not at their disobedience, because we're human, we will muck up, but they felt shame because now what they had done was attached to their identity. I am now naked. I am now exposed. I am now going to hide. And what did they do? They sewed sewed fig leaves together. Now, have you ever seen a fig leaf? What can we just talk about? What an idiotic idea fig leaves are. Like some of them can be quite large, but still, of all the things you could use to cover yourself, fig leaves. Do you know that uh, commentaries say what is likely to happen is that they sewed fig leaves together, I don't know how, but kind of like a belt, you know, to just kind of sew, sew, sew some leaves together, sew, 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 sew. Unfortunately, Do you know fig leaves, the underside of them, when there's friction, they actually seep some real sticky material? (laughs) Really, Adam and Eve, of all the leaves you want to pick, you want to pick the fig leaf, the seepy leaf, the leaf that makes you feel all uncomfortable on the inside, the leaf that makes you walk funny, the leaf that makes you just want to go and have a shower. But isn't that what we do? Don't we just grab the closest thing to us and try and cover up our nakedness and our shame? And really on the inside, it is making us feel dirty and uncomfortable and unworthy. But, we, but it's covering up the shame, isn't it? Well, no, it's a leaf. <laughs> we all know what's going on. I think it's the human condition that we experience shame, but it is one that we must, as people who are sons and daughters of the Most High God, we must understand that the cross conquered it and we must nullify the power of it because we have the authority to. And as we do that, we will find a sound will be released. Turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter, to Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. 
Now, the thing that I love about Jesus is He is so gangster. He's just so cool. He's just so slick. So much so that wherever He went, people just followed the dude. Have you ever been around weird Christians? that like no one likes to hang out with? Here's what I think. Uh, I don't know what kind of Jesus you're following, but my Jesus had crowds of people around him. Anyway, old Jesus is hanging out and in Luke chapter 11 and verse five, he is with his disciples. He is with the people that he has chosen. He is teaching them what it is to be people who walk with authority. He is going to hand over the keys of the kingdom and the church to these 12 people. When He is teaching them, He is being very purposeful about how and what He teaches them. So as He teaches them in Luke chapter 11 and verse 5, it says this, Then teaching them more about prayer, He used this story. Then teaching them more about prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is connection with God. Do you know what is the number one crippling effect of relationships and disconnection in relationships? It's actually shame. Shame will disconnect us. This is why prayer is so good for us because prayer puts us in a position where we actually say, I don't have it all together and I actually need God to function in my life. I need God to be in my life. Then teaching them more about connection. Then teaching them more about humility. Then teaching them more about prayer. Jesus used this story. This story is so good. Suppose, Jesus says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. (laughs) Have you ever noticed this? Suppose, let's talk about this. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight what you doing that for? Why are you traveling at midnight? What is wrong with you? People are sleeping at midnight. The day is done at midnight. People aren't hanging out and about at midnight. The people that are, in my opinion, are crazy. Go home, go to sleep. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. Who knows already something's wrong. Why would you wait? until the cover of night. Oh, because you're hiding. Oh, probably because people won't see you in your little travels. Why would we wait until the cover of night? We're most likely the people closest to us are asleep and are unaware. And so we creep up at midnight and we begin to run and ask for help. I think something's already wrong. But then the rest of the verse confirms it. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight asking for bread. Bread. You could have waited till the morning. Bread. Three, is it three loaves? Three loaves of bread. Like not even KFC. (laughs) 
Like if you're going to come knocking at my door at midnight, like not even KFC, not even some wicked wings, not even a roast, but three loaves of bread. Don't we do this all the time though? Who knows that three loaves of bread is not actually the issue? Right? Um, Hi, Pastor Wills. Can we catch up, please? Pastor Wills, because he's a loving guy, says, yeah, sure. Um, Pastor Wills, I... I think I'm going to leave the church. Uh, I feel like the music's not for me. Three loaves of bread. That's not the issue. You're offended. Why are we going to talk about three loaves of bread? Oh, you know what? Um, just there's so much on in my life at the moment. I actually don't think I can serve anymore. So much on. Three loaves of bread. That's not the issue. The issue is you don't want to serve. <laughs> Isn't it? But we just like to dress it up in three loaves of bread. We just like to dress that up because what would happen if we actually came face to face with the fact that we don't want to serve? Shame. And that would mean something not about what we do or don't do. It would mean everything about who we are. So we cover up three loaves of bread. Pastor Desiree, I know you're an accountant and stuff, but um, I just really need your help because I'm having like budgeting issues. You don't have budgeting issues. You don't fear the Lord. And because we don't fear the Lord, we don't steward what we have. Budgeting issues, three loaves of bread. Sometimes it's genuinely budgeting issues. Most of the time, three loaves of bread. This is the power of shame. Let's quickly move on, shall we? Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine. (laughs) Come on, isn't this the most hilarious thing? Don't we do that? Hey, Pastor Will, so this friend of mine is on the worship team at their church, uh, but they're struggling with some addictions. So this friend of mine would like to know what to do. (laughs) A friend of mine. (laughs) This is why I'm saying, isn't Jesus hilarious? So you say to him, this is good. A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. Okay, and now we're getting somewhere. Now we see what's going on. This is what's happening. Someone wakes up at midnight and they're freaking out. And so they run for help and they're asking for three loaves of bread. But actually what's going on is someone is about to enter his house. Someone is about to see he doesn't have it all together. Someone is about to see, oh, he's just been pretending this whole time that he's okay, but he's not. She's just been pretending this whole time that she's confident, but actually she is crazy insecure. They've been pretending that they've got a great relationship, but actually they've got so many issues with boundaries. And someone's about to come into my house and someone's about to see it's a mess. 
Someone's about to see I don't have what I've been saying that I have. Someone's about to see there's a disparity between what I say and what is actually going on. There is a gap between what I say and what I actually believe. And this gap is causing me shame and it's keeping me up at night. So I'm gonna run to my friend's house and I'm gonna knock on the door and I need help. I love this guy. I mean, he's hilarious. But I love that he has run and he needs help. As we move on, it says this. And suppose the friend who you are calling out to says from his bedroom, don't bother me. Wow, great friend. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and he will give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Because of your shameless persistence. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, because of your shameless persistence, he will get up and do whatever you need. Can I just say this? There are some things that you will not have access to in the kingdom just because you're friends with Jesus. that your current level of friendship with Jesus will not grant you access to unless you get some shameless persistence. That your current level of friendship and intimacy and relationship with Christ is awesome. But unless you're gonna get desperate, unless you are gonna decide that shame is not gonna be a part of who I am, you are not gonna get what you want what you desire. You're not gonna see the mountains leveled and the valleys filled up and the things that are crooked straightened. We must understand the power of shameless persistence. Musos, come on up. Oh, Andrew. Andrew and the team, Mr. Bassman. Church, if you're wondering who the guitarist is, this is Nathaniel Condragula. He's also come from Auckland to serve the team. Thanks, Nathaniel. He's come from... uh, What's the name of your church, Nathaniel? City Church in in, in West Auckland. And um, Nathaniel and Andrew are just good friends. And and me, I'm, I'm his friend too. But what I, what I love about this thing going on, what I love is, I don't know how it happened, but I imagine perhaps Andrew said to Pastor Wills, oh, we need some help. <laughs> hey, Pastor Wills, I know you kind of hired me to take care of all of this stuff, but we need help. <laughs> is it cool if I just get one of my friends to come down and just help us out? Do you know in that simple request, Andrew was doing some shame work. 
because Pastor Wills is a great man and a great friend and even me. I'd want, if I was serving Pastor Wills, I'd want to make sure everything is all sorted. I just do not want to be the person that disappoints Pastor Wills. Not because I'm afraid of him, but because I think it's Andrew's heart and it's definitely my heart to genuinely serve. And so the the power of shame, it's not like it's because we are inherently bad. Actually, God created us. And when He created us, He said, so, so good, very good. But most of the time, the shame enters from actually an altruistic kind of motive. We just want to be the best people God has called us to be. But sometimes in our efforts, we take control into our own hands and then we make a mess of it and then shame. I did a bit of reading and um, because it's good for you to read. And uh, there's a psychologist or so, a psychologist and her name is um, Brené Brown. She's a great She's got lots of fantastic material out there and she's done lots of research on shame and this thing called vulnerability. And she says this, that there is one thing, one thing that underpins the power of shame. One thing that if you pull the pin, the power of shame becomes nullified. One thing, one thing. She's she's surveyed and and interviewed thousands of cases over many, many years. And she has identified and, and separated two groups of people, the people who live with shame and the people who say, do you know what? I am not my mistake. Do you know what? I'm not gonna let that hold me back. Do you know what? I'm gonna do whatever it takes because I'm actually worthy of connection. I'm actually worthy of connection. She says the one thing that underpins it, and this is where we're going to land this morning, the one thing that if you pull the pin, shame no longer has power. It's this one thing called excruciating vulnerability. And when I read this story, I read an excruciating kind of vulnerability. One that would cause someone to run in their darkest hour one that would cause someone to be desperate and to knock the door down. One, there was one place, there was one relationship where excruciating vulnerability occurred in this story where someone was able to stand at the door and scream their shame. I'm in trouble. I need help. I don't have it all together. I don't understand. God, I know You're real, but I don't understand this process You've got me in. God, it hurts too much. God, I'm so still grieving. God, please help. And because of the shameless persistence, You will be granted whatever You ask for. Why? 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 Because it is in the shameless persistence that a greater intimacy can occur. Why would Jesus do that? Because your shame is getting in the way of relationship. 
And without relationship, you will, know, you will not know confidence. You will not know security. In Genesis 3.21, as we go back to the story of Adam and Eve, it says this, And the Lord, and the Lord, and the Lord made animal skins for Adam and his wife. And the Lord covered the shame. And the Lord sacrificed that their shame might be covered. But it only occurred when the shame was first exposed. And if we can just sense the Holy Spirit moving and putting His finger on things in our lives where shame has silenced us, it is time to open our mouths and run in our midnight hour and bang down the door of heaven and say, God, here is my shame. And prophetically, I just believe that this is key for the opening of our mouths and for a sound to go forward, a sound that would call the lost home, a sound that would correct policy and government, a sound that would turn the nation. But we must be excruciatingly vulnerable. As Christians, we know what it is because we use the word all the time. We use a different word. We use surrender. But we use it so much <laughs> that sometimes we forget what it actually means to surrender. Do you know all the people that lived shameless in these studies that were, that were conducted, they were people who knew what it was to have excruciatingly vulnerable relationships. Why don't you stand to your feet? I just wanna pray for two groups of people this morning. Uh, firstly, I just, I, I would like to pray for people here and you know you have been silenced by shame. And I, I don't know why, or more importantly, I don't know how shame entered, but I do know that Christ is the kind of, a relationship with Christ is the kind of relationship that when you expose shame, it does not increase, but He covers it 
He covers it with His love and He covers it with His grace and He covers it with truth and He tells you who you actually are and He tells you that that shame is not a part of who you are but who you were meant to be is someone that is so different, someone that is confident, someone that is secure, someone that doesn't bow to what society says, what a mother, what a wife, what a husband should be but rather God covers that shame and He strengthens. So if that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, I just want you while you're in your seats, if you know shame has been active, right now what I want you to do is respond by way of excruciating vulnerability. And how we'll do that this morning is a simple lifting of your hand. So if that's you in this moment, come on, just lift your hand. And as you're lifting your hand, you say, God, here is my shame. I'm knocking the door down. I am asking You to come in. I am asking You to free me. I am asking You to strengthen and cover me. So if that's you, come on, just lift your hands. If you know you have been under the pressure of covering up, scrambling and striving and pretending that things are okay. Enough, enough in Jesus' Name. But this is a place of refuge and safety where you can come and just say, here I am, God. Here it is, God. We give it to You, God. We don't want it to be a part of who we are, but that You would come, even surgically come and remove the shame in Jesus' Name. As there has been vulnerability and surrender and humility in this moment, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Just come. Come and cover. Come and cover over. It's okay. And I just wanna say that, I don't know whether it's to one or to many, it's okay. It's okay, it's okay. Nothing is too far gone. Nothing, nothing has been sabotaged. Your call and your dream has not been sabotaged. But in this moment, as you have been vulnerable, excruciatingly vulnerable, that God would say, it's okay, I got it covered. I planned for it. The enemy meant for it to destroy you, but I will use it to strengthen you. I will use it to, to, to push you forward. I will use it to torpedo you forward into your call in Jesus' Name. In Jesus' Name. Man, I just sense that there are people here and you have thought that the shame has sabotaged the call, that your loving and mighty and powerful God would say, no, it hasn't. It has not. That the awesome plan of God includes the idiot strategy of the enemy. The, come on, the awesome plan of God has included the assignment of the enemy on your life and it will not, in Jesus' Name, cripple the call. It will not. So thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. You are awesome, God. If there are people here and you don't know Jesus and you're wondering what the crazy lady is screaming about, I'm simply screaming about relationship with God that has revolutionised my life and my being, that has brought so much healing and purpose and significance. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I would love to pray with you. 
If you don't know Him, or maybe you used to know Him but walked away, if that's you, I'd love to pray for you right now. So with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, just shoot your hand up in the air super quickly. And I would love to pray with you this morning. This moment is for you. The service is for you. We are in the city for you. So if that's you, there is no shame in it. But I would love to pray with and restore relationship. Awesome. I see that hand at the back. Fantastic. Is there anyone else? I would love to pray with you this morning.